I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, a one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. Go. You ready to go? Let's go. We've been talking about kingdom, and since day one of this year, we've had this question, why am I here? And I think it's a kingdom question that we look in every moment we're in and say, God, why am I here right now? What do you want to do with little old me? And we go back to the very first moment that you met Jesus. If you could go back then, we realistically, we ask that question, like, God, I don't know why I'm here. And that's the moment he grabs you and he says, I see you. I value in you. There's a purpose in your life, which is exactly what Jesus came to do, was to reestablish value and purpose in those of us who have been broken and hurt and lost. But the hardest thing is those, and we talked about this last week, about if you're satisfied when you meet Jesus, you're like, well, I'm not broken, hurt, or lost. You're probably not going to find Jesus in that space. You're looking for a good time friend. Have you ever not needed a friend and those friends you make in that time, you're like, yeah, I'll call them if I need them. There's a lot of people, that's who Jesus is to them. It was never a kingdom connection. It was for a good time called Jesus. Man, remember that time we went and hung out with Jesus and he did those things? Woo, that was awesome. He was like healing people. That was amazing. I love Jesus. And then... Jesus is really cool, man. We should go do that again. Jesus, water into wine, that was a party. What's up? Love that time. And then we hung out with Jesus and he said, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. What? What's going on, Jesus? I'm good. I got other people to hang out with. See, we joke, but isn't that kind of what church can look like if we're not careful? The moment he tosses something hard at us, like, "Mm, that's not the Jesus I wanted to hang out with. We do this in our life. We hang out with the people we want to hang out with. And then somebody says something crazy, like, ooh, you get in the car, you're like, we're not hanging out with them anymore. Are those your friends? I I don't know what just happened in there, but woo. Jesus can become the same way because what we talked about last week, and I'll be honest with you, when I walked away from that sermon, I was like, man, did I leave that open? Like, I felt like maybe I didn't get the thought across, and I found out this week is because we're going to continue kind of into that process. But we talked about what can occur or where we're stuck in many places is in a victim mentality, a poverty mentality, or an enslaved mentality. In other words, what's been done to us, what we feel we're not worthy of, or what we're still holding on to. That's the hardest thing to realize is enslavement, that slave mentality, 
most of those things, if not all of them, are not holding on to you. You're still holding on to them. Because if we believe Jesus came to do what he said he did, he said, I came to set the captives free. So then he come in, he unlocks the chains, and we say, Jesus, I want you to unlock this chain. Unlocks the chain, and then we just sit down right there. Or we just stay sitting down. Jesus, you're going to take the chain off? He's like, why are you still wearing that? Well, I've gotten really good at wearing these handcuffs. I even bedazzled them. They match my outfit. You know, there's some people that even continue to wear the chains because they've become their armor. They protect you from yourself, from others, and you never allow the places that you were injured in to heal. These are the broken identity places we get stuck in. We hide away because we won't let God restore them because we unknowingly or knowingly find value in them. That's where the enemy keeps us trapped. So I begin to think about that, that mindset, where we get stuck. And we're going to take our sermon title today out of a wise man, Shakespeare, in the play of Hamlet. The very beginning words, he says, to be or not to be. To be or not to be. That's going to be our sermon title today. When we start out, like I said, we've been in Matthew. We started with um, the Beatitudes, but this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I believe this was the vision casting for the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. For everything Jesus was coming to do, everything he was coming to restore, this was day one of the CEO given the mission vision principles of where the kingdom of heaven was supposed to be. You ever seen a business takeover when the next guy comes in, the first meeting, he says, okay, here's where we're at, here's where we're going, okay? And usually it's a different perspective. Somebody that's not been there all along. So sometimes it's completely let go of everything you knew and embrace what I'm doing because that was jacked up, this is the way to go. That's not who Jesus was. Jesus was the initial owner who left the keys to the kingdom, the keys to the bus, into a lot of broken people. And he's coming back to restore or reconcile. And we talked about that the first week as ambassadors, the ministry of reconciliation. To reconcile the kingdom to what the intent was. So this kingdom on the mount is his state of the union address. His initial inaugural address to say, okay, I'm here. And here's the why. Here's where we're going. So we've talked about this the first week from the um, ambassador perspective, who we're called to be. And then when we realize we're called for the kingdom of heaven to the places we go, then we have to know the mission, vision, and principles for what the kingdom of heaven is if we're going to make impact in that space. Otherwise, we're still operating off what we've been told or a broken mindset of where we came from. That's why the victim, poverty, and slave mindset is so bad because you can't operate in this place of who you're called to be because you're still stuck where you were or who somebody says you are. It would be like the ambassador and all the pomp and circumstance from the United States getting to France and like, oh, I remember you. No. 
You can go on back doing whatever you're doing. I'm not listening to you. Well, no, I'm, I'm an ambassador. Sure you are. Sure you are. I know what you did. But there's that reconciling. There's that restoration. And each one of us, when we come back, we are called as an ambassador. And it is because who he says we are. It's because of what he set us free from. It's because of the value that he pours back into us that now we go out as a different person. So to be or not to be, I want to read this passage of Scripture, and then we're going to talk about something today. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, we're going to have on the screen, and then we're going to dive in a little bit in a couple of things uh, Jesus talks about right after here. But in 5, 13, 16, you're going to hear a very familiar passage of Scripture that we hear talked about a lot. We've had songs written about it. But it says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that, there it is, it's just there, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. To be or not to be. I'm going to move this table up because I found out last week I like to go up and down a lot and then I have to backtrack to get to my Bible. So this is with an arm's reach. Today I want to talk about the difference between doing and being. Because I think as I begin to invest some time this week, I, I stumbled upon uh, a doctor. So we're going to talk a little bit about what he says about doing and being. And just know that I don't think he's a Christian. But it's even funny sometimes how the world is trying to grasp at straws and trying to get understanding of the mind and some of the things and how close they really are to, I believe, what Jesus wants to say. And they fall short because they stop pursuing. You know what I mean? You ever, you ever experienced that, Richie? You hear something good and you keep pulling the thing. They just stop pulling the string. They found the right answer, found what they wanted to find. You get a lot of books like this, like, oh, that's good. Why don't you go deeper? Because I found what I need to find, and I stop. But he says, when you seek after me with all your heart, then you'll find me. How many people just stop a little short and just fail to find Jesus? They were on the right track, just missed him. So as we talk about this, he broke down the difference between doing and being. But when we look at this scripture right here, I think it's a very powerful assessment because first and foremost, you have to understand who Jesus is talking to. This is where a lot of people get tripped up in the world around us. Well, Jesus said this or Jesus didn't say that. There is purpose in who he said the things he said to, what he said, and what he didn't say. Jesus came to preach to the Jews. So in this place right here, Jewish people are gathered around him. In other words, the kingdom citizens that were supposed to be doing all through the Old Testament were here. This is a restoration. This is not the invitation to the new uh, workers in the kingdom. We're not invited to this party. This is the initial covenant 
with the people who should have known better, who had everything they needed. They had the Old Testament. They knew the word. Most of them knew the word backwards and forward. It was their very culture, what they live by, the rules they live by. This is what we do. And why they do it is standing in front of them telling them why. That's what we have to understand. Jesus was the why. So he came because they didn't understand the why and said, okay, watch me. I'm going to demonstrate you why we do what we do. I'm going to stretch you from the doing so you can see the being. How did you do this? He invited 12 individuals to come intimately walk with him. See, you can do some good things in your life, and people from afar will watch you do them and never know how you do them. Have you ever been good at something? And somebody says, man, I just don't know how you're good at that. And in your mind, you're like, it's not that hard. And some, if, it's really those moments like when you know like you didn't really do that much, you're like, I didn't really do anything. Or you, everybody's like, wow, that must have taken you a long time. And you're like, it really took me 15 minutes. But yeah, you know, I really worked hard at it and slaved over this thing for hours on end. And whew, you know, you just wouldn't understand. Getting that Jesus could have walked around this earth like that, like, I'm just going to go around and do some things, and everybody's just enamored by what Jesus did. But he said, you 12 individuals, you're not only going to see what I do, I want you to experience who I am. I want you to be with me in the ups and downs, the ins and outs, all the moments. I think this expresses a very powerful moment of what the church is called to be, but we can roll right back into the mindset of the Old Testament, a lot of the things, and we get good at doing. So everybody knows what we do, but realistically, we don't understand why we do it because that comes out of being. When you are something, your doing comes out of that. If you don't know who you are, then your doing becomes who you are. Anybody understand that? Like if you don't have any identity, you don't know who you are, you messed up and you do something good and the first time somebody recognizes you for that and you've had no identity for that, guess what you're going to do? You're going to be good at doing that. Like if you weren't a good man or you whatever and then you get married and you're good at being a husband, you're a good husband. Well, I'm a good husband. You could be a worst father in the world, but I'm a good husband. I could be the worst pastor in the world, but I'm a good husband. My wife says, I'm a good husband. And you can get good at doing one thing and be miserable in every other thing. Or you can even be chasing doing something to prevent you from having to grow into something else. Or you could be good at doing something because you don't want to be like somebody that came before you that was not good at doing it. I have a great father, but in that space, those of you that have had bad parents, your desire is, I want to be a good parent. And if it's at the core of who you are, because that's who God called you to be as a good parent, that's good. That's where Jesus came to establish this relationship with you of the understanding of what we're called to be so that we can do the things out of it. It becomes your very nature. But if you're not really listening to him or what he wants and you just want to be better than the broken people behind you, then you get good at doing something, but you never have an intent on why you're doing it. 
Well, I just want to be better than them. Well, what if they instantly become better at being a parent? Now you're chasing this moving target instead of just operating how you, you are. You'll begin to say yes, or maybe I want to be a better husband or father than so-and-so. And as they do something better than you, you're like, well, i got to do it better than them. I want to be a better Christian than Eileen. Oh, Eileen's volunteering here. I guess i got to go volunteer there too. Oh, well, I need to lead this ministry because she's leading that ministry. See how we constantly, if we start comparing, if we're not really honed in on who Jesus was, then we can be chasing all over the place who we are and what we do. So in this passage, there is a direct moment right here. Jesus is talking to people who have not gotten it right, who have fallen short, but he makes an assessment of who they, not, who they are, not what they should be. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Why are you the salt of the earth? We talked about this last week. This group of people were people that said that he gathered his disciples. Not the 12, but a group of people who were listening. In other words, he said, if you're listening, to, you're here, right here, right now, you're listening to what I'm saying, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus has an amazing way of speaking into your character before you've ever responded in kind. Have you ever been in a place where you know you're not good at something and somebody calls you out for it and you instantly want to be better at it? Man, I, there's times that I have not been a good husband or a father. Like I've just fallen short. Like, oh, I'm just, and somebody says, man, you're such a good dad. You're, Gosh, you know what? I am a good dad and I need to be better at it. Why? Not for me, not because they see me, because my kids deserve it. That's what Jesus is declaring right now. You are the salt of the earth. I'm going to speak life into a place that has been void. I'm going to speak purpose into a place that's missed it. You are the salt of the earth. You need to be aware of what I've called you to be. In me. Watch me. I am the salt. And if I'm the salt and we are both connected into the kingdom purpose, then you are the salt. So then what happens to salt if it's not worthy? If you lose your saltiness, it's going to be thrown away. In that very moment, he could have said, y'all some lost salt. You lost your flavor. That's why I'm here. I'm done with you. Everybody agree that's what could have been said in that moment? Y'all have done it right. I wouldn't have had to come. I mean, we all know that he had to come because we needed a divine person to completely come and do this in a way that we couldn't. Take feelings and emotions out of it. Take what's been done to me out of it. To step into this earth as a perfect human being, make every decision based on what the Father wanted to do and wanted to say, so that the world would be impacted around it, instead of the world impacting what you do and what you say. Because when you're impacted by the world, you can't impact the world. Say that again. When you're impacted by the world, you can't impact the world. Victim, slave, poverty, those are how the world has impacted you. And if that's your identity in those three things, you can't go be an impact. It's the restoration in those areas when people see you and notice you and say, you know what? Wow, what happened to you, Gary? You were just like me, but something changed. 
Your saltiness is there. The moment you're added to something, you change it. Salt is used in food to give flavor, to amplify the flavor of what's already there. It's used in icy situations to make the roads drivable. It's used in places that need it. But if it's worthless, it don't do anything. It's still a bland moment or an icy moment. He said, I need you to be salty. I need you to be who I've called you to be because you can make a difference. You are the light of the world. He didn't say how dim they were at that moment. This is the first, maybe, vision we see of a dimmer switch. Like, you're a light. You don't be that dark. Nope, you are a light. And people are looking to you. He's addressing their being because in the very end of that, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. He is extracting being from your doing. When you are, and I'm declaring this over you, when you are salt, when you are light, then your good works that come out of that are not you. Because if you're not, if, you're, if your being is not in God and you're constantly doing, then you're going to be noticed by your good works. Because your heart and pursuit is to be noticed. It can happen in your life all the time. If you remember early in my marriage, I would try to do things to get noticed by my wife. Huh? I get this done. I know she's out today, but if I get the laundry folded... Uh dot, dot, dot. We're going to leave this G-rated. Dot, dot, dot. Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you're single, you don't know what I'm talking about, and you better not. (laughs) Just pray that Lord gives you clarity when you say, I do. But we do things to get rewarded. We do things to get noticed because we want something from them. In this statement right here, he said, you are salt. You are light. You don't have to do anything to get noticed. When you are confirmed in who called you and who I say you are, then you're not doing things to be noticed. You're doing things because I told you to do them. That's the moment he tells you to show up to a food pantry day. And you're not on the front lines doing it. You're kind of hanging out in the back. And God says, I need you to go talk to so-and-so. Or you're available because you weren't physically doing and you get pulled aside to do something that's bigger than you could even imagine. No one sees it but the one person who needed it. Those are the moments where being occurs. If I can just be there, God can use me in whatever he wants. Then I stop trying to do things under my own power, under my own wisdom, and I trust God as he pushes and pulls me to do what I'm supposed to do so that he will be revealed. That they may see your good works. Yes, they're going to see what you do, but it's not based out of doing it for reward. It's doing because that's just what you're called to do. It's going to be the hard hard task the things that nobody else is doing, the thing that stands out. It's going to be the salt and the light moments. Wow, you said something that needed to be said, wouldn't it be said, and didn't even think twice about it. That can't be you. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So as I begin to look into this doing versus being, there's a, 
There's a uh, doctor named Zindel Segal. So he's a cognitive psychologist. And I know how some people feel about psychologists and psychiatrists and all these things. But as I began to read some of his stuff, it really began to stretch me and challenge me to kind of see where coming out of this victim, slavery, poverty mindset, how we get stuck between doing and being. So he is a cognitive psychologist, founder of the mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, and a specialist on depression. So in this mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, they teach patients to develop a different relationship to sadness or unhappiness by observing and without judgment. What they found is a lot of people that suffer the depression all this Their sadness and their depression, their sadness and their unhappiness dictates what they do and what they don't do. So they're trying to separate them from that space of unhappiness driving them, but it being a place of observance. Like, let's just take this all in. Why is this a response? Not I'm driven when I get this moment of unhappiness like I instantly have to respond. There is a pause moment. There is a reflection moment. There is, let's get to the basics of this. In other words, it's like you walking into a hospital with a headache. The nurse and the doctor don't immediately respond where here's a tile and I'll go home. They don't address the symptoms. They take in all the symptoms. They ask you all the right questions, even the ones, your arms hanging all over the place, right? Like, yeah, well have you been in a foreign country within the last two weeks? I fell off of a slide. Well, we just want to make sure you don't have malaria. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? But they receive a lot of people who have a symptom or maybe one symptom that is the most glaring. And that's in that moment, that symptom is the most glaring. But a headache. Um, my, my brother's girlfriend went in with a headache just the other day. And they end up doing an MRI to see if it was a bigger problem. Because a headache can be a lot of things. A headache is attached to a lot of things. My kids give me a headache. I don't wear my glasses or read my Bible sometimes. I can get a headache. I listen to loud music. I can get it. If I run, I can get all those things. But there's a purpose behind that symptom when your body is telling you. Either quit doing something or it's a symptom of something bigger. So what this doctor is saying is in these places of unhappiness, in the same way a headache gives us a response, what do I do? If you're at home and you get a headache, you're going to go take a Tylenol. If it persists you're going to go to the doctor to ask somebody else for help. So in this place of being and doing, he talks about the doing mode. This is how he connects being and doing. He said there's modes of the mind. So the doing mode is to get things done to achieve goals set by a discrepancy monitor. The discrepancy monitor is a process that continually, uh, continually evaluates our current situation against a model or a standard. So when we're in doing mode, based off the standard that we see compared to where we are now, we set goals and tasks to get closer to that, which all in all is not a bad place to be in the doing mode, right? If you have a good model, 
and you're constantly working towards it, that's good. That's good doing. And I think that's the place when we get into what Jesus is talking about. He's like, I'm the discrepancy model. Like, I am your model and your standard. Problem is, you've not been chasing good model and standards. Even the Pharisees and the scribes, who were supposed to have it all together, if that's your model or standard, i got to break that. So we get to this place when we first meet Jesus and we say, okay, that's our model and our standard. That's not really true either. We may have had 10 models and standards when we met Jesus, now we got 11. Because we're not only chasing after Jesus, we are still chasing after the L'Oreal model. We're still chasing after the Christian blogger or the, the, the family blogger or the... Um, what is it, the magnolia, your house, and what it looks like. We got all the things, right? Somebody that's coming from our same background, had the same things, we're going to chase after what they say. We have all these things that we're trying to get to. So when you have this discrepancy model and this model and standard you set, he said the next step, which is the very dangerous one, is the driven doing mode. And this is recurring unsatisfaction based upon a gap provided from the discrepancy monitor. He said the problem we get in is then when we have this model and we're here and we're not getting any closer, what happens is we become unsatisfied with the distance and then every bit of our doing is to try to get the gap. And when it's not there, we're constantly let down. We're constantly trying to do more. This can happen when it comes to this. Jesus could have showed up to those 12 guys and said, hey, I want you to be my disciples. Get it done. You need to get in the word and figure it out. And then he just leaves them alone, goes and does it by himself. He doesn't invite them to live intimately with me. Just watch what I do. And then he just goes about doing it. Can you imagine how overwhelming that would have been? Ask Peter. He lived with them all the time, and it was still overwhelming. They were intimately involved with him, and it was still like, I can't do that. <laughs> There's no way I'll never be that. I'll never be like that. So there, we see it laid out in Peter time and time again where there was this fear when he's walking on water. He looks around like, oh, I can't do this. Starts going down. We see it when he denies Christ. And Jesus comes back to him. There's shame and disappointment. That's where that driven doing mode puts us in a relationship with God. If, if I'm broken and we're trapped in this victim mindset, and that's just who I am, never going to be. Then we look at Jesus, who is perfect, and he's biting this. I'm not worthy to be there. Why? I need to do about 10 more things, and I don't have anything in my power to do 10 things. I'm barely doing one. How could I ever get to that place? So we just stop. Or we're constantly in this relationship with Christ, and we're not in a relationship with him because we don't feel worthy of it. And if, if I do five more things, then I can go to church. Or maybe I need to go to church Sunday in order for him to love me and appreciate me. I just was able to sit down with somewhere recently who had this um, moment in their life where they realized some things about themselves and they said, Pastor, I'm sorry I wasn't in church more. I said, church wouldn't have got you to this place. I said, did you spend time with God? And they said, yes. I said, and it's evident. You can do church. You can't miss those moments with God though. And I think sometimes even in church as pastor, you need to be in church. You need to be in church more. You need to do this more. 
That's the terminology. We don't mean anything by it, but that's what comes out of our mouth. That's what comes out of our character. And then when you can't be here or you're not there, then suddenly you become a less than citizen in your own mind because that's where the enemy traps you in this driven doing. He's trying to get you to work towards something. He's trying to show you that you'll never be able to do. He's trying to show you you're not good enough. He's trying to remind you of the moment you fell short. And that's the broken place we get in of trying to chase and trying to be something we're not. I took some notes out of it. This guy's article says, The driven doing, our continued dwelling on how we are not as we would like to be just makes us feel worse, taking us even further from our desired goal. This, in turn, only serves to confirm our view that we are not the kind of person we feel we need to be in order to be happy. That is a declaration of so many people in the body of Christ today. That's why we got people that bounce into church. Oh, I'm just out. I messed it up again. It's just who I am. And every time I go to church, it just makes me feel worse because I know I should have been there more. And then pastor preached that sermon and he preached right at me. He read my mail again today. Every time I go, it's like he knows I'm coming and writes the sermon for me. That's your posture, not God's posture. You put that shame on you. When you got your toes stepped on you, God's mad at me and he hates me. That's why he preached at me today. No, he got you right here, right now, so you could be reminded of the invitation that's on your life. It should not be shameful and pushing away. It should be bringing you in. That's what Jesus did. You are the salt of the earth. I'm looking at some less than salty people, but you are. I'm looking at some dim light bulbs, but you are. Because if you spend time with me, if you connect with me, it is a declaration of you will be because I am faithful. The doing mode, he said, doing mode involves thinking about the present, the future, and the past, relating to each through a veil of concepts. This is where I want to talk about the being mode. It says the being mode, on the other hand, is characterized by direct, immediate, intimate experience of the present. Now, here's where this doctrine, a lot of these psychologists, psychiatrists, they get in this self-help or self-revelation mode. Like if you would just stop and be present in the moment, it would be revealed to you how you can fix this. I have news for you. You can't fix you. You know why? You got good at doing you. Or allowing others to push and pull you to be who you are. This is the broken mindset. We, we deal with a lot of people who want to talk about universe and talk about self-help and all this stuff. If you'd ever turn it over to Jesus, you'd realize He could help you in a way that yourself never will. So that's what I want you to understand about this doctor. It's like, yes, you have to get into a place where you begin to evaluate, but it's in that place where you realize you can't do it without Jesus, but you also got to realize that you're invited to do it with Jesus regardless of where you are right now. He doesn't rescind the invitation because he declared who you are. Being mode, on the other hand, is characterized, we talked about that. In being mode, the experience of the moment can be processed in its full depth 
width, and richness. He also goes on and he says, in doing mode, seen as valid and accurate reflection, our feelings are seen as valid and accurate reflection of reality and closely linked to our action. Our feelings get hurt, we react. Well, I got my feelings hurt. This must be right because it feels right or it feels wrong. I'm going to make this decision. We're in a relationship. Something goes wrong in a relationship. I have to react or respond. I'm supposed to be in a relationship. So I got to find a relationship. Well, this relationship's not open to me, so I'm going to take this relationship. Or I guess it's just who I'm always be. I'm never going to have being a relationship, so I'm less of a person because of it. See how the mind begins to take us down a rabbit hole? We begin to react and respond immediately because we feel like that's what we got to do. The higher the priority, the higher level of action has to be taken right now. The process of being is sometimes allowing those feelings to silence. Be still and know that I am God. Get out your feelings for a minute. Let them subside. Feelings are like a wave. You get hit by a wave, what's your first reaction? Get back up or you drown, right? Sometimes you just need to sit and let the wave subside. Because it will. It's going to go back out. In that moment where something happens, you're broken heart or whatever it is, don't make any decision right then. Delete that message you were going to send. Because some of those actions right there will dictate the rest of your life. But it's the invitation of being with God in those moments, of sharing that space of brokenness, to help begin to see it through the lens of the Word. Your saltiness is maintained. Your light is established. In the very next part of this passage, we see him talk about the Ten Commandments. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. The law is the Ten Commandments. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, he's established in the, the difference between doing and being right there. Because he called out the ones who did it, who did it the best, who were good at doing things. Pharisees and the scribes, they knew that word better than anybody, and they did it for everybody to see. Go look at how many times Jesus called out the Pharisees and Sadducees for doing it in public, but their heart in private. Only he knew that. Only he knew their motives. So he's setting the standard like these people do it really well, as far as you can know, as far as you can see. But until you do it better than them, because what he's saying is you can know it all and that's what you'll do. If you're constantly doing to see what for people to see or to do what you know, you're going to miss it. But the moment you are with me, the moment you become, then out of that place, your doing takes a whole other direction. That's where righteousness occurs. Not off what you know, based off what you're around, based off what you experience, that intimate moments that this doctor talked about. Too many people don't have intimate moment with, moments with God. 
Even in church, we can orchestrate a moment and it never be intimate. I can preach a sermon, really connects where you're at, and before you know it, if you would just stand and say this prayer with me, get baptized the next week, and never have an intimate moment with God, you have an orchestrated moment with God. I know, I've had plenty in my life. I heard a pastor one time refer to it as a wave pool. He said, we've got good in church of regulating the waves. We determine when it goes up, when it goes down. We sing this song to get this response. We preach this sermon to get this response. And then we get them right where we want them and we seal the deal, you're going to heaven. And they never understand the intimacy of being with God. What if I told you next week, we're just going to come in, we're not going to have any slate of songs we're going to sing, sermon, and we're just going to let everybody come in and be in an intimate place with God and have your own worship experience. He was already like, mm. well, you know, I could just do that at home. If, if it's intimate, Pastor, I'll just stay at home and do it. Then why aren't you? Ooh. I'm not saying any of you, but that's the question we have to ask ourselves. I've had to ask myself that question many times in my life. Is this my only place of intimacy? And man, did I take a whip in those many times. Because I got really good at doing church. I got really good at doing pastor, preaching, all the things. But it's in those moments that he'll stop you and get your attention. But who are you? That goes back to that very question. Why am I here? As I was reading the story of the rich young ruler... We're going to finish right here. I reference this story a lot, but as I was reading it, something jumped off the page at me. Matthew 19, 16, it says, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What must I do? Give me a list of things I got to do, Jesus. I'll check them off, and I'm going to heaven. What do I got to do? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? In other words, you're a Jew. I've already given you the law. You should know what's good. If you know the law, you should know without me having to tell you. But because you're asking me, it means that you still are looking for something. There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? You know, when I begin to think of those seven commandments out of the ten, or six commandments out of the ten, if you don't know why you're doing them, you're just doing them. Go back and look at what Jesus said about two of the easiest ones we can call out. I want you to raise your hand in here, and you don't really have to raise your hand, but if you're in a murderer, I want you to raise your hand in here. Good, I didn't see hands. I did not know how I was going to approach that moment. Another one to be a lot more awkward is, if you're an adulterer, raise your hand in here. Don't do that. 
I will just line up the counseling calls this week. Jesus didn't get into the ones maybe like theft that could be gray area. Well, I took it, but I don't know that they needed it anymore. They let me have it, but they didn't let me have it. He didn't get into the gray. He took the hardest ones. I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. And he said, okay, that's what you do, but let's check your being. If you have anger in your heart, you might as well go commit murder. I'm not worried about what you're doing. I see who you are. I see your human being not the human doing. Well, I don't commit adultery. Yeah, but if you look at that other girl's butt, you might as well have done it. That's the new Anthony version. That's not the new King James. <laughs> but we can be real. That's what he said. If you, lust, if you look with lust at another woman, I don't care if you did anything with it or not, you might as well have because your heart's wrong. I know who you are, not what you're doing. Everybody else around you sees what you do and what you don't do, but I see who you are. That's why I came. Because if I can get all of y'all that are here listening to me preaching on the mount, if I can get your being straight, if I can get who you are fixed, then your doing will flow out of that, and that's when we begin to see the world around you change. That's when you become the blessing you've been called to be. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. But you're not positioned because you're broken. You're not positioned because you've been hurt. You've not positioned because you've become resigned to being less than. You carry around the broken thoughts that were given to you, maybe by a parent. And maybe you used to watch pornography. Well, I don't watch pornography, but you still look at women in that way. You still think of men in that way knowingly or unknowingly. Maybe you come from an angry home. My daddy never killed anybody, but if he had had a chance, he would have. If you'd have crossed his path and said something about my mommy, he would have killed you. Anybody come from an angry home? Don't raise your hands. I'm asking inward perspective here. That leaves seeds in you of anger. That rich young ruler said, I do those things. He said, no, but I know you do. But I'm looking at your heart. Just because you don't do them doesn't mean you can't be driven to a place that you might. If your emotions and your feelings get you a place of feeling you're not good enough and you got a bad day at work and slowly the coffee didn't kick in when it needs to and your kids gave you a headache and somebody cuts you off, you might do something stupid. I'm trying to get that fixed. Those six commandments are what do you do? You cannot do until you're in the presence of the being. You cannot love until you realize you've been loved. That is why the first four commandments came first. You notice he didn't challenge him on any of those. He challenged him on the next six, the ones that are me to you. And he said, oh, I do all those. Okay, let's check you then. The young man said, all these have I kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions.
He could do a lot, but he couldn't see the idols that he had. His first four commandments, thou shalt have no God before me. If he was who he said he was, who he had lived out, the moment Jesus asked him to lay it all down at his feet, he would have had no problem because there was only one God in his life. But he couldn't. Because he couldn't see the idols he had established. Talked a little, a little briefly this week about the Sabbath. We make Sunday our Sabbath. I went to church on my Sabbath. That's not what he called us to do. Sabbath was meant to be a time of rest. He was speaking to a group of individuals who worked from sunup to sundown. And he said, if you're willing to work sunup, sundown, will you spend sunup, sundown with me one day? Our lives aren't centered like that anymore. But what he's telling that rich young ruler is if you'd have spent any time with me, you'd know. You'd know who I am, you'd know who you are, and you'd know you don't need those titles, you don't need that riches to do what I've called you to do. That was an invitation not to do anything extravagant. It was to come be with him. Man, I see what you've become based on what you did. You would just spend some time with me. Imagine what God could do. I want to challenge you today. And all the things you've gotten good at doing. Well, I pray this time of the day every day. I read the Bible this time of the day today. I come in here this morning. I'm finishing up, I promise. I came in this morning, running behind, into prayer time, 10 to 10.15 for those of y'all want to come and join me. Every Sunday I got in here about 10.07 today. And I sat down there and I was ruffled my feathers because I'm late. And I began to think, oh, how am I going to preach this? What am I going to say here? Eyes closed. You know what I instantly saw? Jesus walking up to me, kneeling down in front of me and began to wash my feet. began to weep because I got so good, so wrapped around what I was doing that I was about to miss a moment of being. What is holding you back from a moment of Him just walking up to you and washing your feet? What has made you so busy that you just can't stop to see Him in your life? See, that was the beauty of what he did to those disciples. That was a declaration. I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I'm washing it off of you because I know where I'm calling you to. I'm letting you go of the things you've done so you can walk into who I've said you are. It's time for the church to begin to be. Because we operate in that space. When we have our yeses and our noes, and an opportunity arises, we don't have to go pray on it. Well, let me just go pray about it and make sure I'm in alignment with God. You get an instant download. 
When somebody's walking by you in the grocery store and like, man, this hurts, and you're here and you're like, man, you should pray for them. Yeah, I'll pray for them. You stop and say, can I pray for you? I'm learning. But you know what? Every time I've done that, God has moved in that situation. Not because of anything I did, but because I said yes. That's all he wants is a group of people that are willing to say yes. And maybe sometimes say no. But if you're listening to the Father, is there any other voice you should listen to? Because today he sees this church and he says, you are salt, you are light. And I'm putting you in situations that need some salt. If you'll spend time with me, you'll make a difference. I'm putting you in dark situations. But if you'll spend time with me, you'll light it up. It won't be anything you do. But it'll be because you want to be a reflection of me. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for the challenge and the invitation that we are called to be representatives of you, to call, to do things in your name, to glorify you. Not that we would be lifted up, but that our stories, our journeys, our testimonies would be, be positioned to break chains off of people, to help people hear the value that they have in their life through the Father. Father, as kingdom citizens, let us remove the focus in our life of responding to our feelings and emotions, but instead respond to your voice, your leadership, and your guidance. That all control and authority would be given to you so that you would make a difference in us so that we can make a difference around. Father, we thank you today that you continue to invite us. You continue to call our names. You continue to encourage us to spend time with you. Open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts, Lord, to see you and receive this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.